Welcome back to the Mandarin Blueprint Podcast. 大家好，我叫丛云。今天的播客呢，要回答客户群的问题和评论。这些评论对我们来说是非常重要的。你们会员们朋友，是我们汉语蓝图学习方法的重要的一部分，可能是最重要的一部分。然后呢，我们为什么要回答你们会员们？会员们的问题，这就是因为没有你们的问题的话，那我们怎么能知道应该往哪个方向走？我们汉语蓝图有非常多的方向可以走，不过需要客户群们的反馈才能知道哪个方向是最适合你们的学习。All right, so let's keep it going with the Mandarin Blueprint podcast to make your study even better as members of the Mandarin Blueprint Method. By the way, if you're not a member of the Mandarin Blueprint Method yet, that's no problem. You can check out some of our courses on our website, mandarinblueprint.com. You can always start a free trial, and we also have some courses that are available、uh, for one-off purchases, like Pronunciation Mastery or the Habit Building Boot Camp. Very important stuff to get your habits right, and that can get you to a point of being able to speak Chinese fluently, also being able to comprehend Chinese, being literate in Chinese, which is a huge help to being to getting to comprehensible input. So, if you can imagine <clears throat> that the best way to learn language is to get lost in it, to be listening and understanding, and just be in the content as it is, not in some kind of、um, You know, state where you don't understand anything, but to get lost in the content. Well, for some languages, it doesn't take too long to get to that point. But for Chinese, there's this big problem, which is that reading and literacy can really help you get to greater comprehension. But that's a bit of a you know catch twenty two because how the heck do you get to comprehension and reading and and understanding when the characters aren't anything like Your native language alphabet, or you know, depending on、uh, what language you're coming from, could be a Cyrillic alphabet, or it could be,、uh, you know, some other type of writing system. But the point is, it's not alphabetic, and it's got all these, you know, different Chinese characters. So how the heck do you get there? Well, that's what the Mandarin Blueprint method solves quite elegantly, if I do say so myself. Because what we do is we have a great method for learning individual characters, leading into a, a complementary method for learning. Uh, compound words, that is, characters of two or more,、um, or words of two or more characters. Then we put those words into comprehensible sentences. So the words you've already learned via the characters you've already learned into simple sentences that make sense. Now that is actually your first bit of comprehensible input. That's when you start building a sense of grammar. But you need you can't stop there, and you really can't stop there. And I'll talk a little bit more about why. There are some people. Who have a language learning sort of theory that is that、uh, you know their theory is basically well you know you can stop at sentences and just get lots of sentences and you'll get the language eventually and this is one of those things that I think is technically true but it's kind of like saying、uh, if you want to lose weight eat less and exercise more it's like yeah okay that might be true technically but 
it's not just that you need to read sentences that are comprehensible to learn the language. It's that you need to read sentences that are comprehensible to learn the language for a long time, right? You need to do it for years, right? And then you'll really be great at the language. But the problem is, is that you're not going to stick with it for years if it's just reading random sentences out of context, right? Okay, here's a sentence in Chinese. Uh, you know, why are you reading this sentence as opposed to any other sentence? Well, there's not really a good answer to that. So that's why in phase four of our course, we say, now we're going to take five sentences that you saw when, when sentences were all you could handle in phase three, when you've just learned, you know, characters in phase one, words in phase two, and simple sentences in phase three, it's kind of all you can handle. But by the time you get to phase four, we say, okay, these five sentences you learned, if you put them together, you've got a really basic story with a beginning, middle, and end. And story is what captures us. Story is the thing that gets you lost in the material. And it could be the story of a YouTuber and what they're telling you about the uh, sense of world events. Or it could be the story of a movie. Or it could be the story of a TV show that goes on for many episodes. But you want to get lost so that you want to continue to keep going, so that you keep having fun. And so... One of the best bits of advice I can give you, and the bit of advice I want to start off with today, those of you who are currently studying, you've either developed a habit of having Chinese on all the time and immersing yourself, or you haven't yet, which is fine. It, everybody is on their own journey at their various spots, but it is pretty important that you get into the habit of listening to the language every day with your full attention on it. Now, it's hard for this to be fun when you don't understand a lot. So here are some tips I'm gonna give you for how to keep making it fun while also building the habit of coming into contact with Chinese every day. One, use English subtitles at the beginning. It's okay, you know, people will say, don't use English subtitles, they're a crutch. And it's like, eventually get rid of the English subtitles. But if over say a three month period, every single day you watch Chinese for 30 minutes to an hour with English subtitles so that you could find it enjoyable, then at the end of that three months, you've had 90 straight days of interacting with Chinese every day. The habit will be there, right? And then you can start experimenting with watching some of that same material, but just without the English subtitles. In fact, Google Chrome uh, uh, extensions like Language Reactor can put this on YouTube videos and Netflix videos where you have the option to hide the English subtitles. You even have the option to hide the Chinese subtitles, which is kind of like a later step. So as you go through the Mandarin Blueprint method, you get better and better at understanding Chinese. And really, you don't want to take away the Chinese subtitles until way further into the process because the Chinese subtitles are... Uh, you know, you're still learning to read for, you know, probably at least two or three years. So don't worry too much about that. But eventually you even want to get rid of the Chinese subtitles so that you can improve your listening. But my advice for today, though, is if you haven't built a habit of immersing yourself every day yet, which is totally fine, today can be the day, you then uh, use English subtitles so that you have fun. The second bit of advice is watch movies that are dubbed in Chinese that you've seen before in English. So you have the uh, English version of the movie and you see the Chinese dub. 
Uh, and so this is, there's a lot of movies like this. Uh, I've seen The Matrix in Chinese with the dub. I've seen uh, Shawshank Redemption, uh, Inside Out, um, uh, Zootopia. These are just some that I came across this week when I was looking around. And there are loads of them. And so if you can find the Chinese dub of various movies, then that will help you with being interested. Because even though you don't uh, understand the language yet, you know the story. And so you can actually learn quite a lot from that. And again, this is about, and by the way, don't be afraid to watch these things over and over too. Like I, I must have watched the Shawshank Redemption in Chinese 15, 20 times just because I really enjoyed getting a connection between the Chinese and the story that I liked quite a lot. So um, anyway, this is all to say that you want to build that habit. All right, so let's get into today's comments and questions. Let's start off with a little positivity. We have uh, Reem Al-Sheikh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, and he says, on the Mandarin syllables, the Nell initial, he says, best course I've tried so far, love the work, keep going. Well, Reem, you're doing great. Keep, keep up what you're doing, and, you know, we just are trying to make sure that you guys can understand the type of thing, I mean, we felt this when we started off with Mandarin Blueprint. We were like, the, the resources out there, some of them are good, but they're hard to navigate. And so what we want to do is create something that is putting like all the best that we've learned into a navigatable linear process so that you can just walk right through it and get to um, fluency and literacy by following our, you know, there's this thing about um, the Western way of learning versus the African way of learning. Uh, and this idea here comes from Katsumoto, which is like he's he's born in Kenya and he's a big language learning uh, through immersion advocate. And he says, you know, the when he was growing up in Kenya, the, the way that you dealt with learning something, you learn to learn, um, say, some uh, music. You're just going to start playing the drum. You're going to start playing the, the, the instrument of some sort. You're going to do things. You want to swim? You want to learn how to swim? Well, why don't you theorize about it? Why don't you watch lots of, read lots of textbooks about it and do flashcards about how to move your arms when you're swimming? Or maybe just get in the water, right? And put on, okay, put on some swimmies on your arm or whatever to give it, to make it a little bit easier. But my point is, you have to do things to build up the muscle. You cannot read your way into getting into great shape. You have to do, right? And so that's the African way. Now, the Western way is planning. The Western way is like, you know, we're going to, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to plan my way through this and plan my way through this type of learning and then I'm going to do the grammar and then I'm going to do the words and blah, 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 blah. We did that for you. We did all of that planning for you with the Mandarin Blueprint Method so that you can just do. You can just go in and see the new thing, make your mnemonics for the characters, learn some ideas for, for putting words together, read, 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 listen, listen, listen. It's comprehensible because we set it up to be comprehensible for you. And then you can do the African way of just doing it. And then getting into the immersion, you'll understand more because you'll just be not having to rack your brain with all these plans. Planning is, you know, somewhat useful for certain things, but once you get beyond a certain point, especially once you get beyond like, I don't know, six months, like you end up starting to, your plans end up starting to be just sort of like acrobatics your brain is doing because 
uh, you can't predict that much. No human brain is capable of predicting all the unexpected events that are going to happen over a long enough period of time. Like, you know, it's not to say that you can't make a plan that's going to happen a year from now, but it's going to be rather vague at first, you know, and then eventually when you get closer, it'll get more specific. But you have to play your way to success. And that's what the Mandarin Bloober Method is all about, playing your way to getting to fluency and literacy by just having a bunch of little wins and games. You know, a video game player isn't that worried about winning the game. It's maybe in their mind a little bit, but they mostly just enjoy playing the game. Well, get into that player mentality, right? Planning, mm, you know, maybe a little bit. We did that for you so that you can play. So get into it, play, have fun. Next, we have Kairi Shikari on building the Chinese habit. So this is the first uh, long video in the Habit Building Boot Camp, which is uh, one of our newest courses and an essential course. You know, to some degree, even though the Habit Building Boot Camp is the least directly related to Chinese of any uh, course we made, there's an argument to be made that it's the most important one. Because if you can't build a, a solid habit, your, your chances of having success with Chinese are practically zero. You have to be able to build a solid habit. This course is you know, four hours of the best, most life-changing types of advice that have helped us. I mean, certainly, like, I was pretty good with habits, but dang, now I am really on it. Every day, I'm getting these things done, and I'm building up that muscle, that muscle of the things that I want to improve on incrementally, because there's no way, you, you go from 1% to 2%. You don't go from 1% to 50%. You go from 1% to 2% fluency, to 3% fluency, to 4% fluency, and then you make your way up, and the only way to do that is incremental improvement every day, which means you have to to have a habit. So let's talk about what Kyrie thought watching this video. He said, just seeing the part about not viewing the end goal, but rather who you want to be made me sure that this was going to be exactly what I needed. It already explains a lot of my issues in the past and the successes I've had were ones where I didn't really have concrete plans in mind. Yeah, just what I was saying before. I just wanted to be a person who accumulates knowledge and connects with people around the world. This seems to make sense and has been confirmed by watching the first video. I'm excited to continue. Once again, another course off to a great start. Yeah, that's one of the controversial claims we make right at the beginning of the Habit Building Boot Camp, which is like, hey, goals, goals, forget them for now. Don't worry about your goals. Focus on your identity first. Who do you want to be? If you were to look at yourself a year from now, what kind of person do you think that has has developed there? It, so for example, and could you just be that person now? So analogy to exercise. You need to lose weight. You need to gain, uh, gain muscle or whatever it is that you're trying to do gain more uh, cardio uh, endurance. Well, what would a person who is great at any of those things do on a daily basis? Well, one thing they would do is they would get into their exercise clothes on a daily basis. Okay, so why don't you start with that? Just get into your exercise clothes tomorrow. Be standing outside with your sneakers and shorts and a t-shirt on. That's all you're required to do. Now, maybe... When you're standing outside with your shorts and t-shirts and running sho shoes on, you might want to go for a run for 10 minutes, for 20 minutes. Maybe you go for a run for 10 minutes, you want to go for another 10 minutes, right? There's so many little things you can do to increase the likelihood that you're going to do something because it's a part of your identity. How about you just go to the gym and walk in? You know, why not? 
You're not required to lift anything. Just go in, right? Turn on the Chinese. How about that? No, no other requirements. Hey, you can turn it down to level one if you want, but just turn it on. How about that? Right? This is the type of thing that the identity of the Chinese learner does. What does a Chinese fanatic do? Right? This is a thing that we've been on for the past few weeks. But if you were just a Chinese learning fanatic and you were just like, I must get into that every day because it's who I am. I'm the person who gets in touch with Chinese all the time. And like all you people who aren't Chinese fanatics, that's fine. But this is me. That's who I am. And I'm going to be that. Well, that identity naturally leads to playing your way through the day in a Chinese learning fashion. Because when you do things that conform to your identity, it's like getting points in a video game when the behaviors you're making are in alignment, right? We're cool how we can do this, humans. We can uh, set a sense of who we are, and then our actions actually create dopamine in our bodies that makes us feel good and connected and motivated and excited to be members of the human race and to be members of, you know, just our family and friends and we feel proud of who we are and there's so many positive things that come from this construction of the identity. Now, just to be clear, it's very important not to uh, identify too hard with the identity. It's more of like a means by which to uh, get into the habit. It's like you say, okay, what is it that a Chinese learning fanatic would do? But every so often, probably on like a yearly basis, I would say, you want to ask yourself, is this identity still me? And usually like if you make a change, it's like it's not that the change is to completely drop the identity. It's more just to recognize that like to some degree it is a construction of your own making and so you could change it if you want you could say you know now now i'm not only my chinese learning fanatic i'm also an exercise fiend or something or an exercise uh, just a person who likes to keep themselves healthy as an example like you could just choose that or you could say i'm a writer now how about that well, I'm a, well, maybe i'm a writer maybe i'm a chinese writer <laughs> maybe you you uh fold being a chinese learning fanatic into being a writer of chinese why not you know, that could be pretty cool. So um, anyway, the point is, it's the identity that matters. It's not the goals. So thanks to Kyrie for reminding us of all of that. All right, Lily Locke on principle versus reality in Mandarin. This is an interesting comment because uh, this video is all about how, you know, you can listen to some Mandarin and it's very 标准, 标准, which is like to say uh, it's standard. It sounds like on the news, you know, like, 欢迎来到我们的节目呢，找咖啡。今天的今天的题目呢，就是在工作的时候，呃，怎么才能找到幸福感？Right? So that's very standard formal Mandarin. 播音系. Um, but then you have guys like there's this uh, YouTuber I've been following recently called um, Da Kang. Da Kang有话说。今天的话题呢，就是呃，习近平主席他是怎么应付乌克兰战争。Right, so that's an example of how this guy sounds like a Beijinger, right? Like, and he's not exactly speaking standard Mandarin, but it's clearly related, right? It's 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 connected in some way. So Mandarin is what you want to learn first. You want to learn the the rules in order to break them. This is a thing that I'm sure that many of you have heard this 
this uh, shibboleth at many points, like, learn the rules to break the rules. Well, it couldn't be more of a perfect example with Mandarin because everybody knows Mandarin. And so if you understand in China, <laughs> and so if you learn Mandarin, people will understand you. And then once you've gotten like the foundational knowledge, then you can go to Sichuan and speak some Sichuan Hua, right? And sound very different. Even Sakema, Sifema, you know, like you can do sort of like this different type of version of Mandarin that was much easier to get to because you built the foundational reality of Mandarin. So, uh, you know, that's an example there. So Lily's comment on principle versus reality in Mandarin. I was born and raised in South Africa, and I speak fluent English and colloquial Cantonese. I would like to move back to China in the future, and learning Mandarin would be essential. When I do visit Guangzhou, China, I am able to communicate with my family in Cantonese. However, Luke and Phil are right in saying that it is an added benefit to be able to speak other Chinese languages. But understanding Mandarin will open up so many professional opportunities. Mandarin is the universal language in China and will allow one to travel between districts and still remain relevant. Mandarin and English will eventually become essential languages in China. And if anyone is also planning to visit or stay in China, definitely go and learn Mandarin. Agreed. And yes, you made the other point that Mandarin is kind of the professional language. So many people might you know, leave the office and go see their friends and be like, uh, but then like when they see a, a professional contact, they're like, oh, right? you know, sort of give a much more standard Mandarin response. And so that professionalism is definitely there with Mandarin. So look out for that as well. Thank you to Lily for that uh, comment. And of course, Lily, I hope that you have a lot of success with Mandarin and you're going to, and I'm sure that you will, you've got the right sets of motivation. Christopher McAnally 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 on uh, Learn Mandarin Bottom Up and Top Down. So he's got a little story here. It's an interesting uh, story. So he says, I have a Chinese boyfriend and also a Chinese ex who I met here in Australia where I'm from. When I decided to learn Chinese with my current boyfriend, he told me to just focus on speaking. However, I'm not satisfied with just that. I ascertained that Chinese has no English equivalent alphabet per se, but I refuse to believe that the characters were randomly created with zero structure. Yeah, you were correct in that. Either on their own or to create words. But I couldn't seem to find the right way to express this to my partner. I was trying to say, speaking isn't enough. I want to read it as well. He already told me not to rely on opinion, and I understood why from some easy examples he gave me. Though I had no idea until you guys mentioned mentioned it that it was actually more for Chinese people than anyone learning Chinese. Makes even more sense. So, in short, I resonate with the video 100% because I want to be fluent, but I don't want the standard way of learning because it was heavily flawed from the textbooks we bought uh, were bought for me from a Chinese bookshop here in Melbourne. It is rote learning, also a term I'd never heard of, and I lost interest immediately despite wanting so badly to learn Chinese. So, yeah, I just want to stop here and uh, comment on that, which is that there's a an unexpected cost that comes from learning Chinese in the rote manner, and that cost is that you start to hate the language. And I, it's so disappointing that this happens to people. It's like you're not just not helpful; you're anti-helpful. These textbooks, because 
it's like it's one thing to just be like, well, rote learning doesn't really work in the long run, but I'm still going to stick with it. It's another thing to be like, wow, I hate this. I never want to learn Chinese again. There, uh, there's, I've told this story before, but in case you haven't heard it before, there was a, um, a girl at my university. She was actually a few years younger than me, and she was graduating uh, from Sichuan University, and she was from the UK, and she was saying on her graduation day, she was like, I can't wait to just get this degree, go back to England, and never read or learn Chinese again, or use Chinese again. And I was just like, wow. Like, that's what, that, what a perfect metaphor for how universities just destroy your interest. You know, like, the only reason I was able to stick with it in university is because I didn't really follow their instructions. <laughs> um, I, like, took some of their material and then learned it my own way. And I was kind of like that... That guy who I was like, <laughs> you know the, um, uh, the you know there was this uh, comic I watched or read as a kid called Foxtrot, uh, and it was like a newspaper comic. And one of the characters, Jason, he's really smart, but he didn't like to pay attention in school, so he would do different projects. Like he would do projects that like the teacher would be like, do this homework. And he would just do something completely different. That's kind of what I would do. I would just like take what they said and I would just do something different. And luckily the teachers, you know, once you get into university, uh, your professors are usually like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, So uh, it worked out. But if I had done exactly what they said, I'm sure that I would have given up because it, it just is so lame. So I can definitely appreciate that uh, rote learning sucks. All right, let's continue. He says, so thank you for this video alone. It affirms everything about my approach to learning and my desire to do it successfully whilst explaining the best method to do so in a way that I can instantly grasp and immediately apply. Now I intend to spend the next six months with you guys secretly learning and listening without his knowledge so I can surprise him one day. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, that sounds good. Every night after work, he FaceTime slash talks at a million miles per hour, it seems, to his mom and children who are still in China. So I do constantly hear Chinese spoken out loud every single night. So it will help as well. And I do ask him what certain words mean if I hear him say them often enough, which is how I learned to say happy, quailo, I think. <laughs> yeah, you're correct. Correct. But nothing more. Not the characters of the opinion or anything, just something phonetically similar to quailo, which looks half Hawaiian. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, that's actually a great situation to be in. You've got like an intrinsic motivation there because you want to learn to be able to communicate with your partner's family, which is awesome. And then you know, you're hearing it all the time and you've got actually a good attitude towards what it's like to hear the language without the context of uh, any of the reading or even what they're trying to talk about. You hear a word over and over and you go, oh, what's that word? And then you have them there so you can ask them and you'll be like, oh, quailo, that means happy. You know, like, uh, it's like happy birthday, right? And uh, so this process that you're going to get into is going to be quite interesting for you. You're going to understand a lot more of what he's saying. And, uh, that, you know, I think you're going to have a great time. So best of luck to you, Christopher, and, uh, keep in touch, keep sending uh, comments and we'll be happy to talk about them on the podcast. Next, we have Robert on make a movie for Xiao. He says, any tips for English speakers on how to practice hearing and pronouncing the characters Xiao and Zhao? I find myself using my mouth the same way on these words, and they almost always come out sounding like the same thing. Yeah, this is a common thing to have happen. You know, the J and the ZH in Chinese both sound a little bit like J in English, but they're different. And the way they're different is that in the case of jiao, jiao, 
I'm, I'm exaggerating my mouth a bit, but like you have ti, ti, tiao, 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 right? So there's no e sound in the second character, doll, doll. But the other thing that's very important is where is your tongue? So when you're saying tiao, 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 your tongue is pressed up against the back of your bottom teeth. Whereas when you're saying doll, doll, your tongue is pressed up against the roof of your mouth. I mean, it, it, it bounces off it. You know, like when you say the, it like, you know, touches the roof of your mouth and bounces, but it's quite pulled back. Doll, doll versus doll, doll. And so like, that's the difference there. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that there's two ways you're going to get good at hearing that one is producing it. Like I said, so practicing going, you know, tongue is about back of the bottom teeth, and then doll doll with the tongue against the roof of the mouth. Uh, and there's no I sound in doll. Or you don't get that eow with doll, doll, doll. There's no E sound in that. So anyway, so that's one thing. When you produce it, you will start to hear it better because you hear it in your own head when you're producing it correctly. And so when you hear other people saying it, they're going to, they're going to, it's going to stick out there. But then there's another thing that happens, which is really much more important, which is that despite Chinese having a lot of homophones, once you add in two character words, and then once you have a basic sense of grammar and where things tend to go, there's a, there's very few times where <clears throat> the two pronunciations are going to be used in exactly the same way. So once you get a sense of words and grammar, you're going to know which one it is because you can hear it in the context of the sentence, which is, I understand that in the early days, that can be very frustrating to hear because you're like, well, I don't understand the context of the sentence yet. And it's like, yeah, you have to get enough comprehensible input first so that you can get lost in the sentence and get the grammar on an unconscious level. But that will come. Like you're you're on the path, right? So you're, you're on a daily basis adding in new comprehensible uh, sentences and words. So you're definitely going to arrive at the point where your, your grammar module understands the form of the sentence and goes, there's no way this person is saying jiao here. They're definitely saying dao because that's what fits in the context of the sentence. And then you're going to be able to understand it even more clearly. So those two things are the uh, bits of, the one is the advice on how to say it, which is literally where to put your tongue. But then the other is, uh, how to practice hearing it? Well, get better at understanding uh, sentences and listening as much as you can and immersing yourself and doing all the things that we recommend. And what will naturally happen is that the distinctions between where the characters are used and where those pronunciations are used it, uh, will um, end up becoming clearer and clearer. Annette Bicknell on Tingxie in context. She says, if a teacher simply reads a list independent of each other's characters, I think she's trying to say. How does a student know which one with all the homophones? Okay, so I get what she's asking. So Tingxie is um, the word for uh, like when you are listening to the teacher say something or, or perhaps a, um, a recording of something, like a sentence, and you're supposed to transcribe it, basically. So Tingxie is transcription. And it's a thing that, it's an activity that you'll do in class. Now, 
the one thing I would point out to Annette is that, I mean, this doesn't really matter, but like, you know, because you're not in classrooms, but if you were trying to do this, the one way to do Tingxie is to have full sentences. So once you have full sentences, that kind of solves everything because a full sentence is going to be comprehensible or it's not, it's not going to be likely that you're going to have a homophone issue there. However, if it were individual characters that you were hearing, uh, the way that you would probably get it is just that it's the characters you learned that week. Uh, and so I think I can even remember in my like elementary class of uh, at Sichuan University my first year that there would sometimes be a uh, a character they would say to write. And they, maybe they would say, um, I'm trying to think of uh, two characters that have the same exact pronunciation. Uh, okay, how about jiao, which means to uh, call out or yell. And then there's also jiao, uh, as in to teach. Although usually when it's used by itself, it's, used, it's pronounced jiao. So like there's actually... Uh, how, okay, how about this one? Zai, as in to be located somewhere. Or zai, meaning again. So suppose the teacher was at the front of the class and was like, okay, zai, zai. And then you're like, shama zai, right? Like that... Or naga zai, right? Which of the um, which zai is it? They might say zai nar da zai or zai shuo da zai, right? So that would be an example of how they indicate to you which one it is. So that's a thing you'll hear in Chinese a lot. So if there is a character that somebody has to say and they know the context actually isn't enough for me to to um to to just say it on its own and you to know what it is they'll say a word that it's in so like for example the other day i was at the bank and i needed to tell her my address the uh, bank teller and i live on shengzhi jie and shengzhi well that could be a few different characters because and you don't have the context because it's just a road name right so like it's not like that road name is used in day-to-day -day Chinese. So what I said was, um, uh, 盛开的盛, 这里的这, right? So that's an example of how I can explain what uh, 盛 and what 这 it is. Because she knows that 盛开 means like, you know, it's a sort of flourishing or, you know, uh, she just knows that word because she's a Chinese person. She know, has heard it all the time. And 这里, which means to kind of like, uh, rule over something uh, type of thing. I could have said Tongzhi as well. It would mean like to uh, unify or whatever. And so uh, that by saying, you know, Zhi the Zhi, she now knows which Zhi it is because I explained it that way. So anyway, that's a way too long explanation for how a teacher might be able to do a transcribing exercise. All right. Nick John on word structure, part two of eight. He says, why aren't there cards to help us remember these rules? And this is on the verb what? Shu bin shi lesson. And it's funny because I understand this question from a uh, academic perspective. So like this is the type of thing that somebody who I bet like, you know, it's funny. I bet Nick was good at school. Right, because he a lot of times people who are good at school, acad academia. I was decent at school. Uh, <clears throat> they want to get everything memorized, right? So they can plan it out and go, ah, I've, I've memorized this rule. But the reason we don't give you flashcards for this rule is because, so like essentially there are eight word structures, and we give you a sense of them. Like so, for example, uh, you, the shu bin shi is things like uh, shuo hua. 
What are you speaking? Words. 说话. 你说了什么话? Right? Like, uh, 你说的话太快了. Right? That's a, is an example. And, uh, you know, there's loads of things. 吃饭. Yeah, what are you eating? You're eating fan, right? So it's got this verb plus a thing. Now, why don't we have flashcards for them? Because there's only eight of these. They're going to come up every day, all the time. And it's just meant to help you notice what kind of word it is. Because if you notice what kind of word it is, then the next time you see a word like that, you're going to realize it could be used in the same way, it could be grammatically. Uh, and, and even unconsciously. It's just, it's a little bit of a, just a little hint as to what you might be looking into. And you do not need flashcards for this because it's going to come up constantly. I mean, like there's only eight of them and every sentence has words. So you're going to find at least one of these word structures. Uh, I mean, obviously you could say a sentence, you know, like, well, I need, okay, fine. That's three words that are all one character. So that sentence didn't have any compound words and therefore didn't have any uh, uh, word structures in it. But as soon as you get into anything that's more complex, you're going to have two character words. Those two character words are all going to be one of these word structures. So it's going to be constant reinforcement all the time, and therefore you don't need flashcards for it. Uh, you will definitely get it. And again, these rules also aren't meant to be the way that you speak. They're meant to be a, an avenue for you to notice things. It's always what it's about. All right. Jamie K on pick a prop for Gordon, which is the single vertical stroke. Gandalf staff. Is it better to go with the first thing that comes to mind or it, or look for something that might have more significance? Because flagpole struck me first, but then hearing that it actually meant stick led to 10 minutes of trying to think of any noteworthy stick slash staff, but I didn't have to look up to remember. I feel like the answer is obvious. This is all about rapid recall, plus the prop isn't the meaning. That comes with the action. Sort of answered it myself, but I'll post in case other people are wondering the same thing. Uh, yeah, I mean, so... It's ultimately up to you and uh, certainly don't spend 10 minutes, right? Like, so, you know, if you're going to spend 10 minutes on it, like the, the purpose of this is to have an efficient way of learning. So as long as there's some relationship, I mean, the flagpole looks like this uh, particular component. So that's good enough. That's a good enough connection. And uh, I think we do suggest a flag and a flagpole later, but that's fine. Then you get to the flag and the flagpole and you, you know, you make something different. By then, you'll be really good at making props. So, you know, it's really no problem. So this is all just to say that um, you've got it down, Jamie. I think that the key here is just to remember that, uh, you know, the – yeah, like, I mean, the you're right. The prop isn't always the meaning. It's the character that it's going to be in. So, yeah, you've got it. Jamie K on problem initial, initial ZH, CH, SH, and R – I've seen in other pronunciation videos that the R is pronounced like the S in Asia. I mean, it, it's a good starting point, I would say, Asia. But the thing is, when you say Asia, your tongue isn't exactly in the right position. It's kind of flatter, you know, in when you're saying that in English. I mean, I see the connection there. There's sort of a vibration that happens when you say the z, the z, but um, the tongue should be up higher, I would say, right? So uh, just fold your tongue back a bit more, but it's not the worst idea to think of it like that. All right, cool. Nick Charleston on new vocabulary unlocked. 
for 以下 and 下午 If I use a picture of someone napping for 下午 won't it be an issue later down the line when learning the actual word for nap? Same for if I used afternoon tea, etc. Wouldn't all these images have a more directly slash specifically related word that I'll need to learn later? This is a good question.、Uh, it's one of those things where、uh, the answer is really that you're going to start to see 以下 and 下午 used in context all the time, and eventually you're going to just know them, right? So the living link to the word is the bridge. Just like the Henza movie method is a bridge to seeing the word in context, and then eventually you've got it down forever. And so,、um, the question of when you get to nap, well, that's shui wu jiao, right? So、uh, that's an example of a of how to say nap, and you're gonna learn shui jiao, and you're gonna go, okay, shui wu, the character you just learned, xia wu, shui wu jiao, okay, that's a that's a nap. Well, first of all, you've got shui jiao, which is completely unrelated to xia wu. But then you also will have used xia wu in context loads of times by then, and it will be in your long-term memory. That's not going to be something that you're—it's going to take all that long to remember forever. And eventually, you just got it, right? And these things aren't like a—you have to review them all the time forever until they're into your long-term memory. Eventually, they get there, and once they're in your long-term memory, then it doesn't matter anymore. Like it didn't matter that you're. Uh, image for Xiaowu was a guy taking a nap because that's your association with afternoon for now. Now, I'm not saying that this could never come into contradiction, but it would only come into contradiction if you learn two things close enough together that neither of them were in your long-term memory yet. But in the case of Xiaowu here,、uh, it will definitely be in your long-term memory by the time you get to the word nap. So no problem. Hussein on vocab unlocked from Zheng. So he says it looks like. 证件和证明和证书差不多都有一样的意思。例如，你为什么没带证书呢？你为什么没带收入证明？你我要看一下你的证件。我要看一下你的身份证。身份证和证件都是证件，不过证件的意思更广泛。身份证是在证件中占一个很小的位置，因为汉语当中，而中国当中是有身份证的，但是证件是所有的证件。你可以有一个美国的驾照，这是一种证件。当然这，这这跟中国的身份证没有关系。所以我的意思就是身份证。是一个占一个很小比例的一个证件，然后证明呢，在你的例子当中，你说的是收入证明。为什么说收入证明？因为你独有证明这个词就没有意思，你必须要给一个修饰的一个词，收入，收入证明。就是你的收入证明不是一个证明，证明但、呃、本身没有一个意思。你你需要说说一个修饰的词，比如说收入，然后证书呢？证书更嗯更正式一点。证书是比如比如说我的毕业证书
我的毕业证书是我的呃那个呃我的 degree， my bachelor's degree， 这是一个证书，所以这个更正式一点，不是不怎么随便。All right. So next, we have Christopher Weeks on habit building app tutorial. He says, "An Android user, I have been using Ticket. You can all, like as in tick it, like tick off the list. You can also change the language to Chinese for more immersion. You can set up habits for repeating in the same day, morning and evening, and it also splits habits into morning, afternoon, evening, or just daily habits. It has many achievements and." Trackers and is free to use. There are over journeys for improving other areas of your life, but I haven't explored this yet. All right, well that's great. So you know we in this、um, particular lesson talked about the habit、uh, tutorial, like the habit app tutorial, and、uh, it、uh, turns out it's only on iOS. It's a great app.、Uh, I like it. I've been using it、uh, for the past couple of months, and it's very been very helpful. But we realized, oh yeah, well if you're an Android user, what will you use? And so perhaps you can try to use Ticket as Christopher suggests. Melissa on Hanzi in context, she says, I actually have a paper dictionary that I use when I don't want to or can't be on my phone or computer. The way we're learning characters in Mandarin Blueprint makes it pretty easy to get the hang of looking up characters. Sometimes it's even faster than drawing it out in Pleco. When I'm looking up something that is in print or in an image, so yeah, cool. I mean, like, hey, if you enjoy using a paper dictionary, use it because you enjoy it. And also, there's definitely a benefit to having times of your day where you're not using your phone. And so during that time, what do you just not come into contact with Chinese? You don't look things up. You know, you can still do it. Obviously, there are a bunch of advantages to the phone. It's like lots of things you can quickly. Save, but on the other hand, there's also a, a, an enjoyable kind of friction that you get from、uh, there's an enjoyable kind of friction that you get from doing the more old-fashioned way, and sometimes that friction gets you more connected to the success of it.、Um, you know, if things are too easy, sometimes the learning was too fast. If you are too fast, the learning that can cause you to、um, Actually, not connect to it enough. So sometimes you need a little friction. So that's not so bad. Carrie Woods on bonus: How does what adverbs of frequency? Just had to leave another comment to say your explanations are always so clear. I have an absolute mental block around grammar terms in English. My actual grammar is fab, but as soon as someone says verb, noun, adverb, my brain panics and switches off. But you are curing me of this, and I am actually understanding things. Claps, thank you. It's funny because we've had this debate in the Mandarin Bloomer community for a while because we made this controversial decision to、uh, try to explain grammar in a different, more like comparatively easier way. Hence, why we say "How does what?" Right. So that because that's what an adverb is. It's saying "How did you do the verb?" Right, and that's what. Uh, how did you do the action? So, and what is a verb? It's does what, right? And I know these aren't these specifically aren't grammatical terms. And so we get some people who are like people who studied grammar who are like you're just trying to reinvent the wheel and like why are you trying to do this? We can understand grammar. Don't look at us like you know being a bunch of dum dums who can't understand grammar. And then we get people like Carrie who are like me, who are like as soon as you start saying grammatical things, my brain hates it and I it turns off because. We know instinctually that I didn't learn how to use grammar correctly this way. Just like Carrie says here, my grammar's fab, <laughs> but we just know when things are right or wrong, and that's because you acquired the grammar naturally. Now that doesn't mean that there's no usefulness to understanding a pattern、uh, consciously. That pattern can be recognized in such a way, like so. If you see a pattern. 
and you learn it and go, oh, okay, I understand how that pattern works. The reason to do that is so that you more quickly notice it and understand the meaning of a sentence that you see in the future as you continue to get comprehensible input. But make no mistake, the first step is learning the grammar rule. The next step is not speaking or outputting. The next step is noticing it in lots and lots of input. And then the third step of outputting it in writing or speaking is a naturally occurring phenomenon, right? You'll, you'll go to speak to somebody and you'll say it because you've seen it enough times. That's just how language output works. It comes from all of that comprehension that you've had. And then you naturally, because you're comprehending it, you've unconsciously internalized the grammar and the time has come to speak, I know what to say, right? And that's how it works. So the grammar rules are not meant to give you some kind of intellectual, uh, you know, sense of understanding in the sense of like, ah, oh, I understand how Chinese grammar works and I'm going to use that to speak. No, you're not going to use it to speak. You're going to use it to notice in your immersion. And so for us, if you don't want to, if you find that like saying how does what is insulting to your intelligence and you just want to think of it as adverb, well, first of all, I would say to you, you can just change the everywhere where we say how does what, just change it to adverb in your brain because you're smart. You can understand grammar rules. So therefore, you should be able to make that little quick word search flip in your head. Um, but even still, if you want to just skip it, if you're like, this is too insulting to my intelligence, I understand grammar, I'm going to, you know, I hate this lesson. Fine, then just skip it because it doesn't matter ultimately. It's just a little help. It's just a little, uh, it gives you a little bit of help to understanding and noticing something, but you'll get it either way. If you get enough comprehensible input, which I think most people who reach this point are convinced that comprehensible input is the way to acquire language. So uh, if you get enough comprehensible input, you will get the grammar points eventually. You just might get them a little bit faster if you uh, follow this particular a way of doing it where you 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 see the pattern first consciously and then notice it a little bit more quickly as a result in your input but don't worry about it and but yeah I, I do think though if you're good at grammar then you should have no trouble understanding what we did why we when, where we said okay this isn't an adverb it's how does what fine just change it back to the word adverb it's fine Mark on start shadowing in phase four. Do you think shadowing would work while walking on a treadmill? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, you know, don't go too fast. <laughs> if, if there's, you know, if you're in zone two cardio range, maybe it might not work very well. Uh, but I will say that, yeah, walking on a treadmill is a good thing to do because it automates the process. So you're like, you know, you're reading something and you're like, uh, I've got some Chinese up here. It says, 我听到一个说法。如果是这种结论，习近平连任，等下下面的是不能归你。我听到一个最新的说法，李克强为什么这次对习近平的这个有这个态度？Right, so that that's an example. If I'm walking and I'm doing that, I'm automating the process. I'm going like, okay. I can, you know, walk and chew gum at the same time. I can walk and speak at the same time. Your brain starts to feel, it's almost like, the, this is obviously a, a subjective ex experience, but it's almost like your brain is going, oh, I can do this. I got it. You know, like this is easy. And so uh, for some reason, you just start to feel like 
if I'm able to do it while walking, then of course I could do it while I'm sitting down. You know, if I can lift 100 pounds, I can lift 50. So, all right. Annette Bicknell on Make a Movie for Bang. She says, is Bang interchangeable with Guo? Not really. They both kind of, obviously Guo means uh, country and Bang is nation, but like they're used in different words. And this is an example of like, you know, like for example, Lian Bang Guo is the United Nations. And uh, that's an example of like use of Bang there to mean, okay, we've got these nations that are connected um, but it's used in more formal words. It's usually used in the context of like nations doing trade and stuff like that. And it, it's not, it doesn't tend to be used to refer to a country specifically. And me explaining this to you is like, I mean, the reason I know that is just because I've seen bang in context a bunch of times as you will very soon. So it's like, it's just a matter of uh, seeing it enough times and you'll, you'll get it. I mean, like a lot of henzu work this way. That's why you can't stop at the henzu. You have to keep seeing it. Like the general definition of the word is, uh, you know, whatever it is in some context, but you won't see how it's used exactly until you get to the sentence level, because sometimes it's like, you can have a, like a morpheme that means nation, but it doesn't ever get used alone as an example. So like, uh, uh, I don't think, I don't, I can't think of an example in English where that might be true off the top of my head, but I'm just saying that like, you could say, um, I don't know, like the word quizzical, the ical in quizzical is like not, it has meaning, but it's not, you can't just say ical right by itself. So, uh, the, that's sort of an example here. Bang doesn't tend to get used by itself, whereas guo can be. You can just refer to, uh, I mean, usually you say guo jia, but like still, like, you know, you could see, you could see guo used by itself sometimes, and that's just one example. Andy Williams on xia lai in context. In the sentence, can lai be replaced with dao? Will the meaning change? Uh, no, you wouldn't say you you might you could maybe say ji daola but that would mean that you successfully wrote it down uh in that like but it would have more of an aim to it almost if you said ji dao ji xia la le ma it's just sort of like oh did you get it down like did you write it down did you did you get it the number the number down right and uh xia lai makes a lot more sense in this context ji xia la la Whereas like Tidala feels like it's like you're trying to hit a mark of some sort and you did it. So technically it's grammatically correct, but the meaning's weird. You wouldn't really say that too much. Andy Williams on Zhongjian in context. I have a follow-up question to the one above about Dao. In the question Ni Kan Dalama, will the Dao loosely translate to at as in have you looked at it? I think of it like this, like so imagine you're looking up at the sky and you're trying to see shooting stars, right? So you're looking at the sky. Well, first you can, right? And until you see the shooting star, you're just can, right? Because you're looking, you're not seeing, right? And then you're looking, you're looking, and you see it, can daula. That's the moment that the dao comes in because the shooting star came, you saw it, it was a moment. So like, you know, and that's why if you say ni can ma, that's a perfect example because shooting stars are notoriously like if you if you missed it you missed it like it's you have to be like looking as it arrives because it's so fast so um that's an example of where you go okay um the uh the the 
you either saw it or you didn't. Kandalama, and your answer is either kandala or may kandal, right? So uh, that's kind of the way you can think of using dal as a complement to a verb. You know, you could say ting, listening. Have I heard the sound yet? You know, cat meows, ting dala, right? Yeah, so that's an example. Another example. Kolia and vocab boost from Xiaoyuan, Xiaojang, Banjang, Jiajang, Shijang, Yuanjang, Suojang. And he says, uh, How is Bing working in the sentence? Banjang de Gongzuo, Bing Bujan Dan, Ching Tong Shemen, Toto Juchu. So, uh, Banjang de Gongzuo. Maybe it's simple. Jan Dan. Maybe you think, uh, the class, the head of the class, it, what they got to do is simple. It's actually. Not simple. Bing Bujan So like it's that actually feeling. It's a tonal word. It's like it's trying to say this from the speaker's perspective. You might think that their uh work is easy, but it's actually not. Bing Bujan Right? So you'll hear it all the time. It's gonna come up loads, Colia, so don't worry about it. Andy Williams on level 14 complete. In the sentence what is the purpose of the du? Is it indicating past tense? Um, you could say that um, they are specifying the time, but let's just take the du away and see how it changes the meaning. If you say, 我只想起来,我下午说话, what that means is all I recall is I spoke in the afternoon. Whereas by saying, 我只想起来,我下午说的话, I'm saying all... All I remember is what I said in the afternoon, right? So that's the difference. It's like that you spoke versus what you said. And so by saying shuo de hua, you're getting you're putting a focus on the hua, which is the content of what you said. So that's the difference. Melissa Neeson on vocab unlocked from B. Biru. I've run into this before, but I've also run into li ru a lot too. Is there any difference in usage between the two or are they interchangeable? I would say uh, li ru is more formal and you'll see it more in books. Like, so for example, a textbook, a Chinese textbook might be like, uh, you know, here's a, a way that you use the word bi ru and it'll have li ru and then there'll be a sentence that has bi ru in it. So like li ru is more formal. You'll see it in uh, text more often. And it's not that you couldn't say it. It's just that bi ru is a bit more common in spoken Chinese. So, and you'll usually say bi shuo, right? So like uh, you say something and you say bi shuo, for example, and then you go, go from there. Lauren Gathman on make a movie for yin. She says, is yin only used for the metal silver or like English, can it also be used for the color sil silver? Yin si. Yeah, that's right. You could use it as yin si to indicate the color. And like many colors in Chinese, by saying yin and then whatever it is, you can be like, okay, well, that is the, the version of it. So, um, you know, I don't know, um, an example of a... Thing that's often silver, uh, like yin cha, might might be a silver fork, because cha is cha That's a fork. Usually, when you are getting more specific, you might say yin cha, and that would be a silver fork, right? So, as usual, when you add in the character before the thing, you're saying it's it's more of a adjective describing the noun. But then, if you just are saying the color silver, you would say yin si yin si. 
Um, so yeah, so that's how that works. That's all the questions this week for the Mandarin Blueprint podcast. As always, head over to mandarinblueprint.com. If you're not a member of the course already, check out our blog, check out our podcast, which you've already done, obviously, and, uh, Feel free to sign up for a free trial um, and see what you think about this very new and innovative way of learning Mandarin Chinese. 下次见。